0: I will right, well, Darren said, just uh, struck by the privilege it is just to read the scripture and pray for you all with you all, and uh, just I would uh, just afresh just think about the privilege I have of uh, preaching the word, opening the scripture to you uh, as well this morning just uh, just thank you for that comment, Darren. just kind of just renewed afresh. Well, we have been meeting on uh, Sunday nights, uh, just uh, um, Just trying to soak up every last little bit of warm and dry weather. And I looked at uh, our forecast here for tonight, and it's not looking good. And um, so it it might rain, might not, might be sloppy outside. We're just going to cancel for tonight. Just kind of that was our idea, just as long as it's warm and as long as it's dry, we will do that. Just uh, rather than trying to balance it out, kind of wait, just just enjoy your evening. Use it for God's glory somehow, some way, however you will. So let me begin our message by by prayer. Father, my message this morning is about prayer, and it's about us gathering together in one accord, uh, praying. And Lord, would pray that you would do a work that I can't do, uh, and just stirring our hearts to prayer. Um, God, for I know that where the heart is willing, the feet are swift. And uh, God would pray that we would have willing hearts today to. Uh, just confess areas in which prayer is, has not been a concern of ours, but that might be a, a greater concern. Um, so lead us and guide us in this message. Um, touch our hearts, I pray. In Christ's name, amen. Well, I invite you to take your Bibles and open to the book of Acts. In recent weeks, we've been uh, working through this book, and uh, so far, we have got through 11 verses of chapter 1. Um, I'm not particularly going so fast here in Acts because we're laying a lot of foundations for what Acts uh, is about, but next time I hope to finish uh, Acts chapter 1. Uh, In recent days we've been working through the ascension of Jesus. We saw that last week as Jesus ascended into heaven, was swallowed up by the, the cloud, and when Jesus rose up in the clouds, the disciples were there on the ground and our text really picks up this morning that what, our, what the disciples did is they were, were on the ground. And, and, and they did exactly what Jesus told them to do. If you look in, in chapter 1 and verse 4, you see that Jesus ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem but to wait for the promise of the Father. That is the, the promise of the Holy Spirit that is coming and, and Jesus promised that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And they're supposed to wait in Jerusalem and, and wait for this power, and that's exactly what the disciples were doing. And we're going to see in our text this morning, one of the activities they did, activities they did while they were waiting is that they were, were praying. We see in verse 14 that it says here that they were devoting themselves to prayer. My message this morning is entitled, Devoted to Prayer, because that's what the early church was, was doing. and That's really the point of application to us as well, is... Are we as a church devoted to prayer? I want to just ask you that. Does devoted to prayer describe your life? Does devoted to prayer describe your contribution to us as a community devoted to prayer? Because that's what the early church was. Now before we get to verse 14, I want to uh, establish the scene. Verse 12. the mother of Jesus. Simply by, by way of outline this morning, to structure our text, to give you some hooks to hang your thoughts on, my thoughts on, uh, was be this. My first point is here, the place, the place of, of prayer. And uh, we see the city described in, in verse 12, then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. Last week we, we described how the ascension took place on the mount which is called Olivet. Uh, it's from there, it's really this, this ridge that travels, it's on the east of, of, of Jerusalem, it travels from the north to the south, and uh, uh, there it's called the Mount of Olives because there were olive trees there, in fact even to today there are olive trees there, they're very old olive trees, it's unknown whether they're 2,000 years old, but they're certainly in the thousands, um, and so perhaps these are the very trees that Jesus saw um, it says Luke verse 12 chapter 1 verse 12 says that there was a Sabbath day's journey away this was a journey that the Pharisees had determined was the the distance you could walk during a Sabbath day uh, about less than a mile 200 uh, 2,000 cubits is what it was depending on where they were on the Mount of Olives this particular place was about 2,000 cubits and the the Mount of Olives is a place where Jesus often spent time with his disciples he, he told the Olivet Discourse is the discourse that Jesus gave on the Mount of Olives. And it speaks about the things that, that the end times and what's going to happen in the future. The Garden of Gethsemane, remember where Jesus was praying? Uh, that as well is on the, the Mount of Olives. And verse 12 tells us simply of this travel that took place. After the, the disciples saw the ascension and saw Jesus go up, then they walked down the Kidron Valley and up into Jerusalem, less than a mile walk. And what came to my mind is this, what What were they talking about on the way? What were they thinking about on the way? They had just seen Jesus rise into the heavens, gone. These men come along, perhaps angels, and said in verse eleven, "Why do you stand looking to heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come the same way you saw him go into heaven." In other words, he said, "Just you know, Jesus will come back someday on the clouds. You need to do what he told you to do, and he told you to go to Jerusalem to wait." And so they're. They were walking there, and I'm sure as as, as they were walking, they had all these emotions in their mind. And I can't help but to think about the disciples on the road to Emmaus. You remember that scene? Where, where they just seen something happen and things were stirring and they were filled with wonder and awe and confusion and, and yet hope. So even you turn back there to Luke chapter 24, I just want you, to kind of bring you into probably what happened as they went from the Mount of Olives to Jerusalem. It's, it's a little bit like this. You, you remember that Jesus came up to these two disciples who were on the road to Emmaus, and Jesus came up and he was unrecognized by them. And it says in Luke chapter 24... And uh, verse 17, Jesus said, what's this conversation you're holding with each other as you walk? And verse 18, it says that they were looking sad. And they said, are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened in these days? And Jesus, pretending not to know what happened, said in verse 19, what things? And I just want to read for you verses 19 through 24, just just kind of a sense of, of, of their wonder and their awe and their confusion and their hope. They said these things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and, and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we'd hope that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides this, now it's the third day since these have happened, and moreover, some of our, our women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that he had even seen a vision of angels um, who said that he was alive. And some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women have said, but him they did not see. And so you see they're just kind of processing through kind of what's, what's, what's taking place. And, and they're trying to put it all together. And can you imagine, right? Jesus ascended to the heaven as kind of as they're talking. They're talking about Jesus went up and, and how he went up. And they're, they're talking about it and considering it, thinking about it. And, and Jesus, of course, rebuked the men on the road to Emmaus in verse 25. Oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for you that Christ should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? and then it's verse 27 says that he was in Moses and all the prophets and showing how God had uh, the scriptures had revealed everything concerning himself and just opening that up. And, and I'm sure as it opened it up, their, their, their confusion was was lessening and reducing. And their hope was increasing as they, they began to see the light was dawning about how Jesus had to suffer and die. It was prophesied in the scriptures. It was necessary. And even in verse 32, they, they spoke about this experience about our hearts were burning within us when Jesus spoke with us on the road of the scriptures and I can only imagine them talking, these disciples talking on the way after the ascension back to Jerusalem as they're, they're mulling it in their minds and they're, they're thinking about what Jesus had taught them and they're, they're pondering what, what it will be like as the Holy Spirit comes upon them and, and how they will be witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria. They, they like knew that they were on the cusp of something great, but they didn't fully understand and I'm sure their hearts were, were enlivened. And unlike on the road to Emmaus, where they were, there was sadness there, there was gladness here with the disciples. And I say this because of what Luke says at the end of chapter 24. You're right there in chapter 4, 24. So look at the last four verses, verse 50. He led them out as far as Bethany, which is just up and over the Mount of Olives, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and they're continually in the temple, blessing God. And so here we see the demeanor of the disciples was totally different. They're not, they're not so downcast. They're filled with hope and, and joy and with excitement as they're returning back, trying to understand what, what's going on. As so they're thinking about and talking about Jesus ascending into heaven and, and, and the hope of, of what's, what's to come. Like, I mean, you don't, you don't see this every day. They got to witness a miracle. They got to see the clear hand of God, and everyone was, was giving their perspective, I'm sure. Now, I remember when I was in college and uh, played on a basketball team, and, and oftentimes after the basketball game, we'd come back to the dorms and, and the ba- where a lot of the basketball players lived, and there would be a lot of, of, of fans, our fellow friends from the college who were there as well and, and they'd come back in and there'd be this pool i remember about 20 25 guys oftentimes and and, and if it was a big game and if we won there, there'd be a discussion about some of the fans would ask oh what did coach tell you on this play oh you made a great shot there Oh, you remember that block oh, you, Did you see the hair of that guy there or what about his socks and just were we're bantering back and forth about what had happened during the big game that we won and so likewise, I just think about these disciples. They travel back. There's that experience, that excitement of what happened. Or what did you see? Or did we really see it? Or did you well, did, did you see a glimpse of him after the clouds? Or how did that go? Or, or he's talking about the, the Holy Spirit coming. What, what What's he meaning by that? And just all this banter back and forth, I'm sure they're talking about. Yet surely there was confusion in their minds. Remember back in chapter 1. So you can turn back to Acts now. Remember chapter one in verse six, they said, Lord, is it at this time you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Like, like they had this confusion about how it was the Holy Spirit's going to come upon them. And Jesus said, it's not for you to know the times or seasons that the father's fixed for his own authority. In other words, right, when, when the spirit comes back, he's going to do it on his time, not your time. You don't need to know everything. And, and, and I don't think they knew everything. They didn't understand everything about the kingdom of God, even though they've been taught for 40 days. As chapter 1, verse 3 says, they didn't know long, how long they'd have to wait in Jerusalem. Can, can, I mean, we know, right, there's only 10 days from from the time of the 40 days with them. And then you got Pentecost, which is what chapter 2, verse 1 begins. That's 50 days. So they had to wait only 10 days. But they didn't know whether they're going to wait 10 days or or 10 weeks or 10 months. or they, they had no idea. They were just in Jerusalem. They may have been confused, but they certainly were expectant this is the place in fact verse 13 tells us even more precisely not just in jerusalem in general but it tells us where they went and when they had entered they went up to the upper room where they were staying now they went to the upper room they went to by the way the upper room it's almost as if this room is is famous well known among the disciples and, and the best guess we have is perhaps this is the room where Jesus celebrated the Passover with his disciples. You remember that scene where during the Passion Week, Peter and John, Jesus sent a head to them and just said, go and prepare the Passover. They said, where? And, and, and Jesus said, when you enter the city, you're going to find this man with a jar of water. Follow him and have him and tell him. The teacher says to you, where's the guest room that I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And I will show you, and he will show you then a large upper room furnished. Prepare it there. The disciples went. That's exactly what they found. They found this guy with a jug of water, and they asked him about this, this furnished room, a place where they can stay, and, and, and a place where they can make the meal. And that's where they did. And we don't know if this is the room, but it's almost as if Luke describes that he knows where the room is, and Theophilus knew as well. Like This was the upper room where, where Jesus was. Now, we don't know anything about this room other than it was somewhat large. Uh, Twelve disciples were able to celebrate the Passover there, if indeed these are the same rooms. And plus Jesus, that's enough for 13 to prepare a meal and to eat a meal. Um, This is kind of the size of that. In verse 13, though, I think some of the point is here, as we we see um, Luke describing who was there, we get a size of, of the room. And this is what I'm calling the people of prayer. We see in the upper room where they were staying, right? even where they had the Passover, was a lodging place, or they, maybe they were living there just temporarily as they were waiting. In this room, and this room may have just meant a floor, may have meant a flat, so there may have been not just one room, but maybe one room with a, a few other rooms on the side. They said, who were there? Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. So if you count that up, how many do you get? How many names? Kids, just count the names there. Do you know how many there are? There are 11. Ruthie, you just mouthed that to me. You said, you're exactly right. There were 11, right? 12 disciples minus Judas. And, uh, but these aren't the only people in the room. Look, look at the end of verse 12. He said that, that together with these, devoting themselves to prayer, together were the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. So we know we got some women. We don't know how many. Um, a few, maybe. Uh, in Luke chapter 8, verses 1 through 3, uh, Luke mentions some of the women who were with Jesus in his ministry. He lists three of them by name. You know, we often think of the ministry of Jesus as just, just of the men, just with the disciples. And indeed, there were times mostly where Jesus and only the men disciples. But there were times when the women kind of came along and joined him in the effort. In fact, Luke says it this way, Luke chapter 8, verse 1 through 3, the 12 were with him and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna and many others who provided for them out of their means. And so maybe these three women mentioned were particularly there with Jesus. We don't know. There may have been three. There may have been five. I don't think it was a lot. But there were some. Um, There was Mary, the mother of Jesus. So maybe you got a handful of women. And and the room also we see at the end of verse 14 is Jesus' brothers. And again, we don't know how many, but just brothers plural, that's two, who who knows, maybe three, four, five. And so if you have 11 disciples, some women and some, uh, some brothers of Jesus, you're talking maybe 20 people maybe 24, just the size of this upper room. Um, And and they are praying together. And the the significance of this is that verses 12 through 14 is a different scene than verse 15 and following, which we'll look at next time, where there are 120 people. So it's appropriate we look at this little scene here today, and we'll look at that scene next time when they replace Judas. But, But what I find extremely helpful from this list of disciples is how inept the disciples were at prayer. Okay, that, that's a blank for your kids, and simply means like dysfunctional or bad or weak or, or terrible or, or not able to pray very much. And this is super encouraging for me, um, and I trust it'll be super encouraging for you as well. It, see, it's, it's helpful sometimes to see people who are bad at things, realizing that if you're bad at things as well, like you can just join the club. Um, but if you're surrounded by people who are experts, that can be discouraging. But I just want you to think about how bad the disciples were at praying. You remember what happened to, uh, to Jesus a few weeks before they were gathered in the upper room? So, so they had gathered after 40 days. Uh, but this is right, right before those 40 days. Remember Jesus was with them and he was entering his hour of temptation in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he, he knew what was before him. He knew how he was going to be stretched out upon a cross. And he knew how he was going to bear God's wrath for our sin in his body, that we, we just need to believe in him and trust and we're made right and holy. But Jesus knew full well what, what he was facing, and he was in anguish. And listen to how Luke paints the scene. Luke chapter 22, 39 and following. And he came out and went, and as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives. His disciples followed him. They're they're always going to the Mount of Olives. It's a nice place. It overlooks Jerusalem. They, They see it's where the garden is. And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will but yours be done. And, and he was saying this loud enough so that the disciples who were a stone's throw away, right? That's, a, a, I don't know, 40 yards, 30 yards, something like that. They, they, could, they could hear him. They could hear what he was praying. And so maybe he was loud and he was saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And he's praying. And, and Luke comments that there appeared to him an angel from heaven strengthening him. And he was so earnest in his prayer that, that he was sweating drops of blood that was falling to the ground. And, and such an anguish and, and some volume, some loud crying and tears, as Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7 calls him, Just praying to God and his disciples who he just told to pray that you may not enter temptation. Do you remember what they were doing? Right? They, right? They, they were, as I got this right here, they were... They were snoozing on their mats. They were sleeping. In Jesus' hour of greatest need, they were sleeping. In Matthew's Gospel, Jesus asked them, Could you not watch with me for one hour? Jesus' disciples were not these prayer warriors. These people who were praying prayed poorly and they knew that they prayed poorly in fact at one point in their their time with jesus right they saw jesus pray and they felt like oh seeing jesus pray, i don't know how to pray and so they they asked him in, in luke chapter 11 of verse 1 it says lord teach us to pray as john's disciples just john taught his disciples and here's what jesus says in luke eleven, two through 4 which is sort of familiar Okay, the words are a little bit different than we know them, but it is. When you pray, Jesus says, pray this. Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. So that's the Lord's Prayer, which if you take Matthew's version in the Sermon on the Mount is more close to what we're used to, but essentially you got the idea, and Jesus is, is saying this, the same thing, right? Focus first upon God and His majesty. Hallowed how be your name. Your, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And, and only then, once you've acknowledged God and His sovereignty and His greatness, then bring in your need. It, it helps put your need in perspective, and it helps remind you that God is the one who can satisfy all your needs. And I do think that as they were up there, these these people were praying, these inept disciples at prayer, I think they were praying at least with this broad outline. And, And I say that because in Acts chapter 4, they prayed this very outline. In Acts chapter 4, after Peter and John had been released, they gathered together for corporate prayer. And they said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and sea and everything in it, who, by the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, and then he quotes Psalm two. He says, "Why do the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in, plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against His anointed." And they, they, they just prayed to God and His sovereignty for truly in this city were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the, the Gentiles and the people of Israel to do whatever your hand and your purpose had predestined to take place. Sovereign God, everything that took place. There it was. And then they prayed. And now, O oh Lord, take note of their threats right? that your servants may continue to speak your word with boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed in your name through the name of Jesus. And there it was just praying. There they were just praying. They said, God, you are sovereign over all things and we need your help. And I think that's what they were praying here in chapter 1 and verse 14. And God was, was really faithful to answer their prayers back in Acts chapter 4. And, and here was God. Here, here was the, the people, right? Praising God praising God for the ministry of Jesus in their life, praising God for how they'd been forgiven of their sins, praying for the ascension, thanking God for the ascension of Jesus and how they had seen him go up into heaven. And now they they know where he is and and they are sure of his resurrection, sure of his ascension. And then having acknowledged God and praised God, I'm sure that they acknowledge then their need of the moment is for the Holy Spirit to come as Jesus had promised. Maybe even quoting from Acts chapter 1, 6, 7, and 8, uh, about how the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. And we are here in Jerusalem, O oh God, and we are waiting for the Holy Spirit. This is our need of the hour. And, and O oh God, we know that just as Jesus commanded that He would leave and then send the Holy Spirit. God, we pray that You would send the Holy Spirit, that He might come upon us, that He might come upon us with this promised power. And we are here waiting until that comes. And we want everybody to see that, and we want to know that and what it is. I think that's sort of how they were, were praying And, you know, what's so encouraging, they had the promise their prayer would be answered. It's interesting, back in Luke's gospel, after Jesus taught them to pray, and after he said these things, you know, about the the Lord's prayer and how to pray, listen to how verse 11 and verse 5 continues on. Jesus, again, teaching about prayer, he says this, Which of you as a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves? For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have... Nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut. My children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up, get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, his, his constant knocking, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. So the picture there is, is a friend who is maybe unwilling to give at first and then just knocking and, and asking and pressing on. This friend will give. And Jesus then turns it to God. He says, I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds and the one who knocks it will be opened. He says, what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will he give him a scorpion? (laughs) You know you won't. If your son is asking for something good, you're not going to give your son something bad. Okay, David, just know that, right? If you ask me something good, I'm not going to give you something bad. That's just how it works with fathers and sons. And then Jesus said, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Did you catch that? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? That's exactly what they were praying, praying for the Holy Spirit, God. They were asking for the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit come on you if you ask Him. Right? There is yes. When we believe in Christ, the Holy Spirit comes upon us. But there, and we'll see in Acts a constant filling, a constant power, a constant uh, help with the Holy Spirit constantly coming. But we're told here just to just to ask God if we just ask and seek and knock, it will be open to you. I just think about the things that we've been asking in our home just in in this past month or two. I mean, Avon and I, for the past two months, probably every night, we've been, we pray together, and at dinner time, often pray. we're praying for SR, who gets married, by the way, next Saturday in six days, and we're going out to Durango this week to be there. Um, And so next week, uh, Haddon Anderson is going to be here. He's head of Youth for Christ. It'll be a a great time. It's going to be in Psalm 103, but that just to help you for next week. But we're going to be in Colorado but we've been praying for Sr. He's getting married, and when you're getting married, you need what? You need a job, and uh, so we've been praying for him to get a job. And he's, um, you know, he's got some some freelance work he does because he's videography stuff. And we're just praying for a steady job before he gets married. And he was that close to uh, taking a job at a discount tire place, which is okay, but it's not using his skills to the best of his ability. And God's been faithful. To answer that question, he's working right now with a big YouTube channel, um, just maybe being one of their editors. Uh, um, So, just super encouraging. Um, Donut Media, I think, is what it's called. And so, he's just about cars and stuff like that. He's edited a couple videos for them and become, uh, and he's got a job after he gets back from his honeymoon, an editing job. And so, hopefully, that turns into long term. But we've been praying a long time for that. We're asking. And we're knocking, and we're seeking, and God's been faithful. Um, I I think about Hannah. We've been praying for you, Hannah, just for direction of your life a lot. And uh, she's wanting to go to Mexico after SR's wedding. So we go to Colorado, and then we drive down to uh, uh, El Paso, where she then drives on into Mexico to be at a mission school. And as I put out in the Weekly Word uh, two weeks ago, just being a mission school just to kind of help with the kids whatever there. And uh, one of the things that have been up up in the air has been just the the passport. And you applied, Hannah, for a passport when? Like in May, I think? I can't remember. July? Okay, July. I guess it was. The story would be better if you would have applied in May. And just waiting and waiting and waiting, and God finally just um, got the passport a, a week ago or so. And so all the plans can go forward and just direction of that. And just God is a is better than a friend who you, who you ask for and seek. He is our, our loving, heavenly Father. They're praying passionately for the, the Holy Spirit to come upon those who ask, and that's what they're, they're longing for. And this is really my, my last point this morning. We see the, the passion of prayer. Not just the place, not the people, but also the passion. That's what I'm calling verse 14, because we see this. All these, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer. I think that's just passioned prayer. In, in, in fact, this word that they were, were with one accord in their praying means that they were like-passioned. They were, they were one-passioned. We're talking here in verse 14 about corporate prayer. Now, that's not to deny individual prayer where or, or you, you go into your rooms and pray. That's not this. That, that is good, right? But the disciples here in verse 14 didn't say, okay. Everyone, go to your room and pray, and then come back in thirty minutes, or come back in two hours after you've done your individual prayer. Um, that's not what this is. This is praying together. You now, there's a place for individual prayer, and that should be in secret. And Jesus said, "Right when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. They love to stand and pray for to be seen in the synagogues by others in the street corners." And he says, "Truly, truly, I say to you, they have received the reward in full." But when you when you pray. You go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. There's a place for secret prayer, but that's not verse 14. That's not today. Today is corporate prayer where everyone is together and we see and hear everyone praying. They are praying with one accord. Like I said, with one accord, with one passion. This is passionate prayer. Because, right, I, I think they were all were passionate in prayer. I don't think it was one passionate soul that, that rose up and prayed and everyone went along for the ride. I don't think it was that at all. They were together in their passion. Now, when you think about passion prayer, right, we often can think about one who's crying to God aloud in an ecstatic way, just the top of his lungs, whatever, showing. I, I would contend that might be what Jesus is warning against, this big, showy, loud, hey, look at me, I'm praying sort of prayer. Now, that was true of Jesus in the garden when he prayed with loud crying and tears. That was passionate. He wasn't looking for a crowd. He was really engaged in the, the passion of the moment. But there were other times when Jesus was passionate, but he wasn't loud and, and, and boisterous. Right? Like John 17, you can read that high priestly prayer. I think it's full of passion, but it's hard to see it so loud and, and uh, attention-getting, if you will. But here in Acts, we see corporate prayer, that is, together. And with passion, and so the question of our text really comes to this: Do we see this at Rock Valley Bible Church? Prayer together. We had uh, our our outdoor meeting last Sunday night, and I asked the question because we we go over the next text, and so we were looking at these verses last week, asking our our questions just about the text, our five questions, and and I said, right, okay, so. How do we apply this? Do we see this at Rock Valley Bible Church? And someone said, uh, "Like, uh, is this what we believe? Is this what we are?" And someone said, "Well, in theory, uh, it's a great answer because it acknowledges no, but says that's where we want to be." Gina, you're the one that said that, so <laughs> she's laughing. I wasn't going to acknowledge go her. I do, but it—we're not there, but we want to be there. But it just says we fall far, far short of experiencing the early church. And I'm hoping as we go through Acts, one of the things that we see is we see the, the goods of the early church come about with us at Rock Valley Bible Church. And I just see, like, be my witnesses. We see the disciples just witnessing for Jesus and God doing great things just through them opening their mouths. And I think the big application of Acts, right, is to, is to be my witnesses, right, to, to speak forth his word, and then God works as we are just salt and light in the world. But really, I say are you part of corporate prayer at Rock Valley Bible Church? Now, I'm not trying to guilt you or anything, but we do have a prayer meeting, I think you know about it. It used to be nine o'clock on Sunday mornings, now with coronavirus, we're at nine thirty so as to minimize the mix and mingle time afterwards. We do it on Sunday mornings, so you just show up thirty minutes early so that you could be here on time. We we just try to remove all barriers, so it's not an extra night out. You know, the kids can do it. We're doing it right downstairs nowadays, and uh, the chairs are all all spread out. Um, And sad to my soul, few of us come. We had nine of us today. Now, before coronavirus, we've had up to 30. But I know there's some of you who have never come, ever. Just come a half an hour early. We're just praying to God. We're just, this is... What the holy, what the early church was doing, together praying. Now I, I know maybe it's because I lead it badly. Maybe it's because those who lead it lead it badly. Will and Darren, bad, bad, bad leaders of prayer. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Why don't you come? Why don't you come? I really don't know. We try to make it as easy as possible. Now, that's not the only application of corporate prayer. There, there might be, maybe you're doing really well, calling your friend, right, and praying every week. At least there's two of you. That's wonderful. Maybe you're meeting on Zoom with some other people. That's wonderful to pray together. But I know there's some of you that the only time you have any participation in prayer at Rock Valley Bible Church is on Sunday mornings when someone stands up here and prays for you. We'd love to hear your voice. We'd love to pray. I'd I'd love to move it from downstairs to this room because we have too many downstairs. And and I get it. Prayer is hard. Talking to an invisible God is hard. It is hard. I sympathize with the disciples who fell asleep. I I, I know it's just hard. Like, if God would speak to us audibly and we would hear that, that'd be different, okay? Um, But we don't see him. Even Peter said in 1 Peter 1, we don't see him now. And though we don't see Him, we we love Him. But God has made Himself known. He's clearly seen, but He's invisible. We don't know. I I, I get it. Prayer is also repetitive and boring many times. Pray for the same old things with the same old words. And God, in His sovereignty, is slow to answer. And so we pray for months in our family just to see little things like a job that could come quickly, or a passport that could come quickly—just tiny little things, but are huge to us. And yet the promise stands, asking to be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. Um, but I just say this: we we were in prayer meeting today, and uh, God in His sovereignty. The prayer, the scripture that prompts our prayer is uh, Proverbs four, verse twenty-three. Um which I haven't quite memorized, watch over your heart with all diligence for from it flow the springs of life. Meaning your heart is what flow everything of life. And, and I, I introduced our time and I said, you know, here's the verse. And I, I like to illustrate it like this. I said, when the heart is willing, the feet are swift. And then Will said, when the heart is unwilling, I can't find my shoes. That's how good that is. When the heart is willing, the feet are swift. When the heart is unwilling, can't find her shoes. I get it how prayer is hard. I get it how it's boring. Um, But I don't think this meeting here was particularly boring. And you know why? Because they knew their need. They, they, they knew their need. The, the early church knew that their leader was gone. <clears throat> Jesus was gone. They needed help. And they needed the Holy Spirit to come on their life. They, they, they knew that they were on the cusp of something great. And they just didn't quite know how it's all going to work out. And, and they were confused a little bit. And so they just were, were together. And they were praying passionately Said, God help us. Because they, they just knew. And so we don't quite face that need. And so it makes sense that our, our prayers are a little bit different. But suppose... Suppose there's some persecution in the city. Per, per, suppose particularly this neighborhood here that we're trying to reach and pray for. Just just suppose that they, for some reason, turned against Rock Valley Bible Church. Right? They didn't like things here. Or, or maybe we were proposing some building program and they're really against that. And, and, and whatever. I, I don't even know what it is. But suppose that we found out that that this Sunday morning... Or next Sunday morning, let's suppose, that. let's suppose next Sunday morning, we knew that there were going to be hundreds of protesters in our yard with placards and signs that says, get out of my neighborhood, right? With loud chants and with volumes and just wanting us out of here. Do you think we have a little bit different perspective at our prayer meeting? I think so. I think so. Because there's, there's the need and I think we'd gather corporately and pray, right? Because we would see this great need in our life, right? Because, because when troubles come, we just naturally pray. It's, just, it's what God has, has built into believers. It's just, we, want, we want to pray when troubles come. But when troubles aren't there, we don't do so well. I think it was C.S. Lewis who said something to this effect is that God whispers. But he shouts at us in our troubles. All right, when things are going well, he's just whispering. Right? Just, just, Whatever, I'm doing just fine. I can, I can live my life just fine. It's all going well. But then when something goes bad, all of a sudden we turn to God. That's why there aren't any atheists in a foxhole. When you're getting shot at, all of a sudden you're praying to God like crazy in war. And if we understood the war, maybe we would, our feet would be swift to pray. To pray with others. To pray as a church. To pray somehow. I I think that, you know, we, we don't see our needs practically. I don't think we do. I don't think I do. I don't see them. But we have great needs. For our church to flourish, God needs to show up. For people to come to Christ, God needs to show up. For us to grow in godliness, God needs to show up. For us to be strong in our witness, God needs to show up. And God shows up when we ask Him. And perhaps we're not asking. And those in the early church were simply asking and God showed up. 3,000 are saved in chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. That's God showing up. And if you look in Acts chapter 2 and verse 47, you see that the Lord added to the number. Day by day, those were being saved. God was showing up. God was adding to their numbers. Every day those were being saved. And they're they're just, just praying to God. Revival is breaking out, and we see just their commitment. Acts chapter 2, verse 42, this early church, they, they knew their need, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, the breaking of bread and the prayers. They, they were committed to being together in fellowship. They were committed to learning together under the apostles' teaching. They were sharing their lives with each other in the breaking of bread, and they were committed to praying together Right, because I think they knew their need. And this, this was new. They, they hadn't figured out church, right? They hadn't been like Christians for 50 years who figured out the church and how it runs. They, they, they just, it, was, it was all new, and so they were all ears. Like a, anytime someone right, begins a job or begins some kind of task or begins something unfamiliar, oftentimes eyes are wide open learning everything that they can. right? If, you, if you're going to do something, right, you're expected on some night operations. You're like, okay, what do I got to do? What do I got to do? Or if you're expected to do something, you, you're, you're just all there. And so I think these disciples, like it's all new. And so they were they were all there. And so they were devoted to prayer. They st- continued steadfast. They persevered. They continued on. And the same word that speaks about them being committed to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking bread, and prayer is exactly like happened in chapter 1 and verse 14. They were devoted to prayer. They continued. They persevered. They, they press on. You know, I, I think it's because, and I, I think one of the reasons why, Um, The church flourishes in China and third world nations is because they see their need and we don't. Like a typical American, why does an American need Jesus? I got my house. I got my 2.5 kids. I got my car. I can enjoy my weekends. I got the secure job. I'm good. Why do Americans need Jesus? We're the, the wealthiest nation in the world. Why do we need Jesus? But oh, if I could take you... To the poor nations where I have been, and those of you who have been to other places in foreign lands. I know, Dirk, you've been to foreign places and foreign lands where they're, they're poor and there's poverty there. And you get to around to the church. Uh, the, 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 those in the church have nothing in this life. But all they have is Jesus. You want to see people devoted to prayer. Those are people devoted to prayer. They don't have anything else. What's our problem? We got everything else. We don't need God. And I really think if we'd see our need like the early church saw their need, we would be devoted to prayer. Now, in some regards, right? though we have great wealth in America, in these days, right, do we have needs in these days? Do we have needs? Dealing with this mask thing, right? We got needs. Coronavirus and how? Yeah. The division that causes, certainly... And the racial division in our nation today is huge, and we may not feel that necessarily directly at our church, and but but it's huge. Right, a, a four nights, five nights, maybe of looting in Louisville because because a, um of a of a grand jury that comes down differently than people want it to. So they take bricks and they smash in windows and they they loot and they steal because they didn't like that. Our nation is in turmoil. Just you know we are. Just a ticking time bomb to explode again. This whole Supreme Court battle. We are a country in need. It's, really, if we would see that, I think it would help us to be devoted to prayer. But I spent some of this week in, uh, in Daniel chapter 9. It's shocking to me that Daniel, the righteous man in the land, confessed sins of his nation now, they're different. Right? They're a theocracy, and this is God. And America, God has never promised to to bless America, but righteous person confessing the sins of a land. He was praying corporately on behalf of other people because he, he saw the need because the 70 years of captivity was, was coming right up to the end. It's almost done. And so he's realizing where Israel was and was really confessing his sins and the sins of the people and pleading for God's loving kindness and grace upon people. And I think he was committed a prayer, devoted to prayer because he saw what was coming. He understood. And so I just i just ask you, are, are you devoted to prayer at Rock Valley Bible Church? And it may be because you don't see your need for corporate prayer. And where the heart is willing, the feet are swift. And I just encourage you to just even pray to God that he would help you see your need. And, and maybe it's not 9.30 Sunday morning, okay? Okay. Um, Maybe it's in your small group, right, when we start those up again, praying in those groups. Maybe it's with friends. Maybe it's your family. Maybe it's bigger than your family. This is talking, though, about whatever, 20 people together praying, seeking the Lord's will on things. And, and I just, you know, l- lest we think church today is coming, thinking all is well. Oh, look at how good we are, Rock Valley Bible Church. We got our doctrine. We're just, ch- check that, check that, check that. We're good. Look at how good people we are. Today is not that day because we're not good at prayer. We're not good at corporate prayer. You know, Spurgeon, when uh, he, he, in his church, they had a Monday night prayer meeting that packed the auditorium. Thousands of people, Monday night. The Brooklyn Tabernacle in uh, in uh, new york now i'm not sure about coronavirus days but they pack their place every tuesday night now there may be some charismatic tendencies different things at church they do things different than we do but they're packing people for prayer why aren't we i don't know but I do think as we weigh ourselves with the early church, we need to be careful because not everything in the early church was hunky-dory. Not everything in the early church is, is, we're called to imitate. Okay, there's some other things, like even, even when we look at how they chose the leader, like, ooh, should we really choose leaders like that? Or even in, in Acts chapter 4 when we talk about sharing our possessions, oh, we need, certainly we need to give, but do we need to share them like that? I think there's some unique circumstances there. You need to do that. And in Acts chapter 6, there were problems. If you say, I want to go back to your church because it was great, d- don't because it wasn't really just absolutely great. But in this area, it was great. And in this area, I think that we are, we are called to do that. So let's finish by maybe applying it. So what, what I'll do, we'll just bow our heads. I'll just give you something to pray for, and then maybe we'll have someone pray. And then I'll give you something else to pray for. And you pray. I'm just thinking about Hannah. We can pray for her. This is her last Sunday. Just pray for Hannah as she goes. We can pray for the the racial divide in America. The riots in Louisville. That would be another good thing to pray for. Um, Just even praying for coronavirus and the division that it causes. That God might help us to continue to walk in unity. And just that that we get out of this mess soon. I I think about the, the Supreme Court. Just I think about how God how God has been so kind to uh, just help in those areas. Just things would have been different four years ago had another president been elected. But God has been kind to us. But just the, the whole political division, just that God would help us to walk rightly. So let's let's bow our heads and just even even in that order, just ask someone to pray for Hannah. Just just shout out right where you are. Just pray. For Hannah and her time, just this next school year down in Mexico. I just want to close this praying for the the Supreme Court. Um, Father, just uh, I, I, as I mentioned, just think about the the consequences of elections and uh, just uh, President Trump. And despite many things that are are bad about him, he has been used of you to put those on the the court who would seemingly uphold justice and righteousness and um, Father especially we think about the sanctity of life and just it's it's balancing that way and to think about the the many many abortions that have been uh, performed in our land um, just even think about that issue which is an issue even to be a one issue voter on so we'd uphold the sanctity of life and God just w- would pray that just even as we'll see just the divide in our nation come out over these next couple weeks with uh, the hearings. Just thank you for your uh, your mercy to us, um, really in, in providing things. Would would pray for uh, just even as it leads me even to think about abortion. Just thank you that the church has arisen not just to point the fingers at those who would abort babies and say how bad things are, but really come around mothers who've had abortions in the past who yet have come to the pregnancy care center and felt love and grace rather than condemnation god there's enough of that from it within and just thank you even as darren reported and just the abundance of finances you're providing for the pregnancy care center here in rockford just I, i find it ironic that here in the coronavirus time can't meet together they have been more successful in fundraising uh, both in their banquet and in the the hike for life than they've ever been before just that's the way you work and just would pray you'd continue to to work that way god be gracious to us as a nation Uh, look kindly upon us god but ultimately we we want your church to flourish and if it means hard times god bring it on for your kingdom to come god but in, in all these things may we glorify jesus Uh, Who alone is the author and perfecter of our faith? God, I I would pray even that we would consider just corporate prayer, even as we've prayed today corporately, straight application of the text. Uh, I pray you'd help us to know how we can do that better as a church. God, we're so weak compared to that. Charles Spurgeon called prayer meetings spare meetings. I pray, God, that we would uh, just have a, a renewed passion for prayers. We'll see it again and again and again in the book of Acts. God, stir us in our hearts. I long to commune with you with others in prayer. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.